Auto Line Daily is brought to you by Bridgestone, your journey, our passion. And by Dow Automotive Systems, improving durability and increasing design flexibility with Betamate structural adhesives at DowBetamate.com. Hello and welcome to AutoLine Daily. In today's show, hacking your way into a Tesla, General Motors looks like it's giving up selling plugins in Europe, and how the heck did Dodge get so much horsepower out of that Hellcat engine? Now the news. In what looks like another example of the deteriorating relations between the United States and Russia, the Russian steel company Severstal says it is selling off its steel plants in the United States and abandoning the American market. Severstal owns two gigantic steel mills in the U.S., including one at the Ford Rouge plant in Michigan that traces its roots back nearly 100 years. That plant continues to make sheet steel for the auto industry, even though Ford sold it off years ago. And it's a plant that I know well. I was an hourly employee there while working my, my way through college. I made about eight bucks an hour on the midnight shift back in 72. In today's money, that's $45 an hour, showing just how far blue collar wages have fallen over the last four decades. Last week, I got a chance to drive the Dodge Challenger Hellcat. There's an embargo on driving impressions until tomorrow, and we'll tell you more about the car then. And no doubt you've already heard about the power the engine puts out. My question is, how did they do it? On paper, the Hellcat has the same kind of engine as the most powerful Corvette, the Z06. Both of them have a supercharged 6.2 liter V8. But while the Z06 puts out 650 horsepower, the Hellcat puts out 707. My guess is that the Hellcat uses a higher supercharger boost level and dumps in more fuel. In fact, the fuel line going into the Hellcat engine is half an inch in diameter. One of the injectors can fill a pint-sized glass in about seven seconds. And at wide open throttle, the engine gulps gas at the rate of a gallon and a half a minute. But if you baby it, the Hellcat will deliver 20 miles to the gallon on the highway. South Korea used to be a low-cost manufacturing country but those days are quickly coming to an end. General Motors just agreed to a major wage hike with its workers there to avoid another bruising strike. And that's going to really irritate Korea's other automakers. Hyundai claims that if it is forced to accept a similar agreement, it will see its labor costs shoot up by about $5 billion a year. In other GM news, the company plans to drop the Opel Ampera. Automotive News reports the company will stop selling it once the Volt gets redesigned in 2016. The Ampera has been a sales disaster in Europe. Last year, only about 3,000 were sold. In the first five months of this year, that plunged to only 332. Meanwhile, in the U.S., sales of the Volt are also slowing down. They're down 12% this year. For those of you worried about getting your car hacked, this story is not going to make you feel any better. At a security conference in Beijing last week, a group of computer hackers from a local university successfully hacked their way into a Tesla Model S wirelessly. The team exploited what's called a flow design flaw 
and they were able to remotely unlock the vehicle, honk the horn, flash the lights, and open the sunroof, all while it was driving down the road. However, no team was able to snatch the grand prize for hacking the door or the engine computer. Prior to that conference, Tesla offered a $10,000 reward for anyone who could hack the car, but that included getting into the car's gigantic screen and surfing the internet. Sadly, we got a couple of deaths from within the industry to report. First came the news that former president and COO of Ford, who was also the former chairman and CEO of Jaguar, Nick Shalem, passed away Friday at the age of 70. His career spanned nearly four decades at the company. And we're going to miss the actor and avid auto enthusiast, James Garner, who passed away due to natural causes at the age of 86. Garner is probably best known for his roles in the movie Grand Prix and the TV series Maverick and the Rockford Files. He was also a big race fan and even did commercials for Mazda. Coming up next, we're going to take a look at the growing popularity of crossovers and SUVs in the American market. Dow Automotive Systems, driving solutions in automotive, commercial transportation, and aftermarket with innovative products like Betamate structural adhesives. Lighter, stronger, safer. DowBetamate.com. Last week, IHS Automotive released a study that shows SUVs and crossovers are outselling sedans in the U.S. market. Michael Robinett, an analyst at IHS and one of our guests from last week's AutoLine After Hours, explains why the segment is growing. Well, there's a couple of enablers. They're all coming off the same global platforms with those same sedans, so you don't change the engine box. You're using the same engine, some, a lot of times same drivetrain, so that's number one. So from an economies of scale perspective, we don't care whether we build a crossover or a sedan as long mm -hmm. as we build something off that platform. I think the other one is we're, we're all getting older, myself included, and we don't want to crawl into uh, a sedan as much as we, we used to. We, we want to open the door and kind of slide into the vehicle. It's just a lot easier. So people are just saying, you know what, from a practicality perspective, I'd rather just make my life a little easier. But it, you know, it's interesting, you know, you, you, I think you put your finger on something by calling it an inflection point, because looking at, at these numbers that uh, IHS Polk came out with, so it goes back to 2009. So for sedans, it was 36.3. Then the next year, it's 36.2, 36.5, 36.5, 36.6. And up through May is when the numbers were. Right. So for sedans, it's 35.4. And then you look at the numbers for, for um, SUVs and CUVs. They combine them. And, and they're bumping along 31, 33, 34, 33, 33. And now, boom, 36.5. So, I mean, a full yeah. point mm -hmm. ahead of 1.1% over, over sedans. And so, I mean, it's just like, it's, it's happened. It has happened. We got to remember that right now, the, the movement into global platforms, and, and I know some of the listeners know what that is, it doesn't know, but basically pla uh, structures that are, are global, that they're built in China, built in Europe, built here. The movement in North America is really hitting a stride right about now. And, and they're not only bringing sedans off them, but as we mentioned, they're bringing a lot of crossovers off them. And that's, that's really an enabler. Before, we used to be pigeonholed in North America. We only have our crossovers, and, and they're only off of our platforms that we just build here. But those, those days are finished. So does, does a car maker make more money off of selling a SUV? than a sedan, than, than the comparable sedan that is the 
I'm not, I, I don't, platform. I don't, I'm not necessarily sure about that, but I will say this. They could be more competitive when they build a crossover off of a platform that also has a sedan off it, not only because of economies of scale, but if they want to afford something like forward adaptive cruise. Well, not only do they have the sedan they can put it on, they can also put it on the crossover because these are the same electrical system. So now you, you can actually up content these vehicles more easily than you used to. Mm -hmm. And I think that adds to the bottom line. Of course, you can watch that entire interview on our website right now. Anyway, that wraps up today's show, and thank you for making AutoLine Daily a part of your day.